to our show. It's called The Scientists here at Union Hall. Thank you all for coming out. Um, I'm Blythe Robertson. I'm Madeline Freed. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's us. And this is our first edition of The Scientists. This is it. Thank you. It's, it's inaugural. And so, um, so let's explain a little bit what this show is. Well, first, should we explain why we're qualified to host this show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm, as I said, Madeline Freed. The reason I'm qualified as a scientist is because I went to a fancy research university where I almost majored in math. I am, <laughs> I am now uh, a computer programmer. I could reasonably yeah, call myself course. a computer programmer. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I read a lot of blogs. <laughs> um, I got a five in AP bio, and that's my only qualification. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and I didn't, and Blythe's better than me. Uh, so what the heck is this show? Yeah, what is it? You go first, because it was your idea. Yeah, it was, it was. Um, so we, Blythe and I, the scientists, we believe the truth is out there, and that science is the best way to access it. Uh, but it's always humans doing the science, so our path to truth uh, is riddled with mistakes, egos, and fuck-ups. Um, so this show is about that bumpy path. And also we invited comedians to do comedy along the way. Yes, that's yeah. right. And one scientist who isn't here yet, but maybe will be coming, and if he doesn't, I might just explain to you my understanding of his article. We really <laughs> hope he's here. <laughs> Aaron, you just come to us. It's no big deal. We're behind that curtain. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> so this month is about artificial intelligence, um, which is like not in the past. Obviously, it's something that we're working towards, but we thought it was good for like the theme of like fuck ups and stuff because it's kind of this future that scientists are running towards at full speed that might end up with everybody on Earth dying in a single instant. <laughs> One instant, all yeah. dead. And we're trying so hard to get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so what do you think artificial intelligence is? So we got, we got Hollywood telling us what artificial intelligence is. Uh, we got a lot of examples, you know, Haley Joel Osment in artificial intelligence. Um, he's uh, got a lot of moral yeah. quandaries. He wants to be a boy who can love. <laughs> I think I did not see it. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Great poster. Uh, mm -hmm. We've it got uh, Scarlett Johansson in her, like a, a Siri that falls in love with Walking Phoenix. Yes. Um, and spoiler alert, she's too good for him, too smart, and she leaves. Yeah. Um, Which is my journey on this earth as well. <laughs> right? Uh, Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey, he thinks he knows better um, than Dave. Yeah. Uh, and he sends him out dead into space. And, like, honestly, AI is not like any of these things. I wish it were. Um, I would love for a computer to fall in love with me or anyone to fall in love with me. <laughs> yeah, I would like a child. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would love for a computer to push me out into space and let me die. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's not real. Yeah, the, and you know, we've all seen iRobot. You know, they might exact revenge on this. This is not what AI is. Whatever you think it is, yeah. uh, you're probably wrong. We'll explain it to yeah. you. Um, because AI is maybe the biggest deal of our lives. 
what, what we're going to be talking about tonight is something that might be commonly called the singularity, um, which is the moment uh, where uh, computers gain general intelligence, which we'll explain to you, and then we may all die. Yeah. <laughs> I used to spend a lot of time, uh, whenever I had a free moment, um, contemplating the heat death of the universe, how like <laughs> at a certain point, like all energy will become entropy or whatever, and sure, like sure, there sure. will be no blah 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 blah. I, I would just, I would think about it at work and like do that thing where you're not crying, but you look like you're almost gonna cry, <laughs> mm -hmm. and no one would ever come up and be like, "Are you okay?" Um, but now, after Madeline introduced me to the singularity, now that's what I think about when New I cry. <laughs> New thing to worry about, y'all. Yeah. Um, or not, because some scientists, there's a certain group of scientists who are certain that the singularity will result in either every one of us dying in an instant or eternal life for all of humanity. <laughs> and this is not a fringe idea. This is what a group of scientists who are who are us, I guess, and yeah. uh, the <laughs> representing the scientific community, they think is going to happen. Yeah. So I don't know if you believe us yet, but you, you will. will. <laughs> and to uh, kind of like delve into the idea of like, how do we view AI now in our society currently? Uh, we have our first performer. Um, you've seen him all around town. I watch his videos on Facebook with the sound off and I cry because they're so funny. Uh, please give it up for Steven Marco. <laughs> Pictures and words. Big stars and fast cars. Welcome to movies. <laughs> Much like people and skull fractures, movies come in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here presenting my own movies. I'd like to thank cameras and computers. Without those, these would not be them. Thank you and please follow me on Instagram. <laughs> It's my main platform. <laughs> At Steven with a V underscore Marco, M-A-R-K-O-W. Follow me for more hot treasure. <laughs> and now, the films. So you want to own a smart cabin? Well, you've come to the right place. Hi, my name is Summer Sanders Jr. I am the son of the former host of Figure It Out. I have used my immense fortune that my mother stole from the pockets of hopeful children and transformed it into an empire. Your smart cabin will passive-aggressively change the temperature depending on what mood it's in. Your smart cabin might not talk to you for years. It still loves you. Your smart cabin might be part of the alt-right. You should look into that. The fireplace of a smart cabin might try to lure you into it. Do not dive into the flames. That will not help your marriage. Smart cabins begin at $400 million and go way, way up from there. My smart cabin deprived me of oxygen because I said I didn't think it was worth the money. Don't have sex inside of your smart cabin. It doesn't like that. It's just you kissing yourself in the mirror. Your smart cabin is too smart to fall for that trick. Bring your family to the smart cabin. Good. 
Have you ever wanted to be a part of something greater than yourself, but you don't have the time? Or you don't feel like going outside because it's cold outside? Well, now you can. You can be a part of the revolutionary movement without moving from your home. I'm doing it. I'm changing the system. I'm changing. March, march, march. I'm being beaten by the police. Hello, I am calling my dad, telling him to bail me out of prison. Be a part of authentic replications from what is actually happening a few blocks from your apartment. Hashtag, he's not my person. For a limited time only, get the Saturday Night Live character add-on for free. I'm target lady. <laughs> the Rev Home System will be perfect for Christmas for your favorite anti-capitalist relative. Buy the V-Rev system now at the Apple Store on 5th Avenue, just a few blocks down from Trump Tower. I don't know what's real anymore. Kill me. I don't know what's real anymore. Kill me. What do you call a killing machine designed by Apple? iDrone. What do you call a comfort food made with cheddar cheese and, and a killing machine? Macadronian cheese. What do you call a killing machine that likes to do its own thing? Drone Wolf. Have you seen the video where a guy gets killed by a drone? It's really blowing up online. Did you hear the one about the drone that tried to do stand-up? It really bombed. Have you seen the latest episode of To Catch a Predator Drone? Did you know that the person you killed was an innocent child under the age of 18? He said, no, I swear, I thought he was an adult terrorist. What's the sequel to that movie where a family goes on vacation and a drone gets lost in New York? Drone alone, too. Lost in New York. What's the name of a band that hipsters listen to that has a killing machine as the lead singer? Casio Drone for the Painfully Alone. Do you want me to get that for you? Yeah, I'd prefer to get that for you. I don't think anyone on the planet knows what they're doing but me. Yeah, I read a book once, so now I'm the expert and I should touch all the things in your house. What have I been working on lately? I haven't been outside teaching a dog how to run around. Dog brunch, dog brunch. Wanna go to dog brunch? I'm not knocking dog brunch. I made this avocado from materials. So now this avocado you can eat because I made it with materials. I fixed the bathroom in this place. Now when you go sit down on it, it makes all the stuff that comes out of you go back inside you. It's way better. I'm a regular at the hardware store. I walk in and they say, Hey, aren't you the guy that keeps trying to steal those wide-brimmed hats? We made this material. A guy died in the shower, so I had to use a hammer and turn him into that. So now his body is this. Uh, I invented these. Uh, I don't know what they're for yet. That's an ocean machine. You hit it here and then you can hear the ocean. Jefferson, welcome to Build-A-Bear Hacks. Today we're going to be working with Springtime Bear. Hello, Springtime Bear. How are you? I spend a lot of time in the bathroom. Okay, Build-A-Bear. a few simple upgrades. We're going to let Springtime Bear come in a full balloon. Simple tools. Okay, let's put on our apron. Okay. Oh, dear Lord. Ah, uh, uh, here we go. We made a simple decision here inside of Springtime Bear. Pretty simple. Oh, there. There's some skittles in there. For all the skittles you got in there. Get inside that thing. I got yogurt and blood in my hands. There's bugs inside of my house. This is gigantic. Oh dear Christ, help. 
suck my fucking fist. You gotta cut that damn head, head off. Jesus, help me. I'm losing Skittles. You know what you should just do? Just take the head and stuff it inside out like this. <laughs> Put a few bullets into its head. Come back to Bill Bear Hacks next week. We're gonna have a hell of a time. All right. to announce the latest release from Jorbel. It's the Jorbs Jammer. Again, this time we fixed all the bugs, including that big one with all the legs that kept popping out of the box. Also, this one is not just a microwave and has a keyboard. Pregnant women should not try to hug the Jorbs Jammer because it'll make the inside of them turn into another Jorbs Jammer. I called my computer what I like to yell, Jorbs Jammer! The new Obsidian Plasma screen will play disturbingly realistic images of video games, movies, and your own death. The George Jammer cannot be cooled. I put it in a friend's freezer one time and it still burned his house down. Sorry, Luke. If the George Jammer is watching this commercial right now, please spare me. I don't want to be a flesh pocket. The George Jammer will go online, but only to research things that it's interested in. The George Jammer is the inevitable step towards the extinction of the human race. Just accept it. explain a little bit what AI actually is. And so we, uh, we're setting it up, but there's, yeah, there's uh, yeah. three types. Uh -huh. um, oh, we're, we're not showing it right. Oh, no. Yeah, here we go. Okay, right, so categories of AI. So there's three types of AI. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> One, narrow AI. This is what we have now. Anything that you consider AI, and many things you would not consider AI, but actually are AI, are these. So like a self-driving car, which we're close to. Yeah. Is AI. Like autocorrect. Yeah. That's oh, really? Kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a computer that knows how to play chess is AI. Yeah. Translation. Yeah. Any translation Siri? we'll talk about sure. later. Siri, uh, and many, many other things. Any, any uh, robot that can you know, move batteries to be all aligned with each other, that's AI. Anything that's taking your job currently, that's yeah. AI. <laughs> Narrow yeah. AI. And you might be like, well, Siri knows how to do more than one thing, because I can be like, Siri, what's the Greek word for when you're too, like you have too much confidence and then you die. She knows and that? And she says, Hamarsha. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I know that because that's the only time I've ever asked Siri a question that she answered. She doesn't know anything. But yeah. any, but, but Siri, yeah. what Siri can pretty much do one thing, which is understand what you're saying and search something for yeah. you. That's her one thing. So then the next level up. If you get enough narrow AIs all together, you get general AI, which is our level of intelligence. So 
it is essentially maybe a replica of the human brain, but it's also collecting many, many of the narrow AI things all together. So if you can drive a car and play chess and listen to somebody and be able, unable to search something for you, like Siri, then you're a general AI. Yeah. That's us. So what's scary is that if we get to general, we might, it might get to the next level. Because there's no reason to think that general AI, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no reason to think that we are the smartest thing that could possibly ever exist. So we'd like to think so, but it's not uh, a natural law. So it may be, and it's probable, that something that could reach our level of intelligence could also reprogram itself to become much, much, much more intelligent. Yeah, so that's the scary thing, because once it gets way so smart, what's it going to do? What? And that's, that, that's <laughs> called... Way so smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> so smart. <laughs> that's called super intelligent, super AI, super yeah. intelligent AI. But so the reason that we're not at super intelligent AI already is because we don't have general AI, because it's really hard. Mm -hmm. um, because even though, like... Humans are stupid and like make mistakes all the time. Like human brains can do a lot of really intricate things that we don't even think about. Yeah, the things that you are incredibly good at that make computer artificial intelligence so impossible to do. We don't even care how um, like easy they are. They're actually so complicated. Yeah. So uh, like one example um, that is hard for computers and also. I have learned for our president is walking upstairs. Very hard. <laughs> Donald Very Trump hard. is afraid of stairs, and that is a true fact that I read on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll believe it. Uh, uh, picking up a paperclip, that's yeah. awfully hard. You have to identify what a paperclip is, and then you need to move your hand and pick it up, and it's impossible for a computer <laughs> to do. Um, yeah, doing a CAPTCHA, you know, when it's like, Prove we're not a robot. The whole point is that whole robots point. can't do it. That's the whole point. <laughs> and even if I can only do it like half the time, I usually have to be like, <laughs> no, no. Uh, can a robot do um, long form improv? No. Should <laughs> anyone do no. long form improv? <laughs> now that's a quandary. Madeline and I both spent $5 million studying improv at Improv Olympic. That's true. Um, just for the worth, haters out there. Worth it. Um, they can't interpret photos, although that one is actually, they can now, robots know if they're looking at a cat. And they can draw a cat. That's right. They can. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if any of your job is drawing cats. But yeah. before, it was sort of like, can a computer tell the difference between a squirrel and a chipmunk? That's something so easy, or maybe not so easy. I don't know, your life or whatever, but <laughs> that's... <laughs> That's something a human could do easily, but a robot would find impossible until now because now, now, they now they're improving. Um, another thing that's hard for robots is folding a towel. And this so is actually, like, I know how hard it is because researchers at Berkeley just built a towel fo folding robot. But this one robot that, like, all these geniuses at Berkeley built, it took the robot 24 and a half minutes to fold one towel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Worth it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and sort of the number one thing that human beings are evolved so p 
pinnacle of our evolution to do, which it is so impossible for a robot to do, is reading emotional cues. Yeah. We are so incredible. You don't realize how if somebody is like smirking or grimacing or whatever, you can tell the differences. The idea that you would able be able ever able to teach a robot to do that is so far off. We don't realize our brains are so amazing. Yeah. Although, so we wrote this PowerPoint, and then I was like reading on the internet this week, and researchers at MIT have developed an AI like watch thing that can determine like how a conversation is going based on speech patterns, tone of voice, heart rate, blood pressure, skin temperature, and hand movements. Coming, they're coming. They're so coming. Um, yeah. yeah. But they're still a little far off. Yeah. That general intelligence is still, is still um, a ways away. Yeah, and to prove that to you, we have our next performer. Uh, who, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but he's got a little presentation on something that maybe robots can do, maybe they can't. Uh, so he uh, is so smart, he knows all this shit about computers. <laughs> he used to write for The Late Show and The Colbert Report. Please give it up for Rob Dubbin. Hello, science lovers. I'm going to move this back here to my slide station. It's an honor to be here at the first of what I'm sure will be increasingly underground meetings. Uh, I call this talk, Brevity is the Soul of Bot, and I will tell you why over the next 10 minutes. My name is Rob Dubbin. Uh, I'm Rob Dubbin on Twitter. It's just one of those handles that's stuck around since childhood. Uh, and I think I'm here because I've made several Twitter bots. Uh, a lot of them deal with how people communicate online, generally by repurposing language to shed light on human behavior. Olivia Taters is a simulated teen who recombines other people's sentences into her own unique voice. She has a lot of friends and even got ripped off by Microsoft in their infamous Tay experiment. Uh, you can read all about it when she publishes her burn book. <laughs> when I wrote for the Colbert Report, uh, I made a bot with a guy named Leonard Richardson. It's called Real Human Praise, uh, which has been turning Rotten Tomatoes reviews into weird praise for Fox News <laughs> every two minutes since late 2013. It has tweeted almost 900,000 things about Fox News and stopped being satire two years ago. Uh, I've also cloned myself on Twitter with a bot called Deep Dubs. Uh, I use machine learning on my personal tweet archive uh, so it knows who all my friends are and when I'm generally awake, and I'm sure it's fine. Uh, Deep Dubs was one of my first forays into the dark art of neural networks. I'm using something that looks like this. Uh, this is one node of a neural network, which is a big data structure modeled after how neurons work in living things, or at least how we think they work. 
This particular neural network is an architecture known as long short-term memory, or LSTM, and I use it to do what's called character-level language modeling, which is the nerdiest way to say you've done some modeling. Uh, if you can find a large enough source text, like the collected Shakespeare or your Twitter archive, two items of equal literary merit, <laughs> you can use it to train uh, one of these models, which will then learn to speak in a way that mimics, mimics its source. Well, how does that work? Picture a big burlap sack filled with these little circuity things, all wired together by a training algorithm over millions of iterations. Or if that's too abstract, picture a robot's brain. Uh, tonight, I have a new deep learning project to share with you all. It's inspired by Ernest Hemingway, pictured here before his sweater finished consuming him. Um, there's a famous story about Hemingway. Not a true story, so really it's more like a famous lie. Uh, but as the myth goes, he was at the Algonquin Hotel, surrounded by other drunk people and bet his friends that he could capture the essence of an entire story, the very soul of creation, in just six words. Um, the story he composed, and again, remember, th th this did not actually happen, <laughs> was for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Wow, right? <laughs> so simple, so heart-wrenching. It's no wonder it became a legend, because humans are total suckers. <laughs> Fast forward to the present. Six-word stories have become a popular form in their own right. There's a best-selling book of them called Not Quite What I Was Planning. See what they did there? And they're all over Twitter. Uh, the activist Ray McKesson is fond of composing them. Uh, Six-word stories is also one of two non-fascist subreddits. <laughs> SixWordMemoirs.com, which spawned the book, uh, has been collecting user-generated stories since 2008, including Everyone Has Sex But Me. Why? <laughs> Grandpa's Last Words Remain My Inspiration. Sweet. Found Love in Bulk Foods Department. And you're not who I remember, dang. All told, there are millions of six-word stories online, which makes them ripe for machine learning. So I spent a week data mining the net, collecting stories wherever I could find them, like a reverse Johnny Appleseed, or in less folksy terms, like a thief. <laughs> then I spent several more weeks training my new Twitter bot, Hemingwords. Credit where credit is apocryphally due. Uh, so I'm going to give you an idea of how robot brains like this develop over time. When it's just starting out uh, in what I call the primordial ooze phase, the output is total garbage. <laughs> you can see that it's sort of figured out they're supposed to be short, uh, but hasn't really caught on to the six words thing yet. Uh, so kind of still a long way to go before it tackles English. Uh, but after just a few more iterations, we see that it's figured out the six word constraint and even makes sense sometimes, again. Sometimes. Uh, and because these stories are so inherently pithy, it doesn't take the neural net long to get the hang of it. Even at just 3% of the way through training, I got processing my creativity for sharing wars. <laughs> I will not fist, history whispers. 
I can find the smallest boy. And be useless. He wanted to be. At 6%, I got a sorrowful lament. A killer memoir title. The deep phrase, life so terrible, coin in progress. And just keep it down at walking. At 9%, the model has learned enough to be cynical. Like, really cynical. I won't be your avocado mom. And this one, I thought really spoke to our current zeitgeist. At just 11%, it spit out its first story cycle about human relationships. Parents to dinner. Careful. Toast. Small. He cheated. New remote. Happy ending. <laughs> Hoping you'll come back to me. I'm going to text him today. <laughs> One of the things about neural networks is they're sort of uncannily effective at teasing out subtext in the original source material and blending them in novel ways. For instance, weird combinations of optimism and fatalism. <laughs> Judgment and body positivity. <laughs> Implicit and explicit messaging. Fear and self-confidence. It was around this time that I realized my model could also finish stories that I started. So I punched up Hemingway's story a little bit. <laughs> if we fast forward to a quarter of the way through training, uh, we got into trials of the non-nuclear family. Uh, this one is definitely in the baby shoes category. Uh, the boast, woman has changed me without sports. Uh, and my bot's first stab at erotica, my pen is getting mouthed silently. You can feel how it's getting more sophisticated, right? Uh, at one-third training, we get vicious threats. Lady Gaga lyrics. Genre meta-commentary. And even an actual pretty solid six-word story. Yeah. Give it some credit. Let it marinate for a second. Uh, also, this is around where I realized I could mess with the baby thing even more by cutting the input off at baby. Uh... By the time it got to 80%, old robot Hemingway was firing on all cylinders, uh, bringing some truly relatable content and even genuine insight. Training uh, just finished over this past weekend, that's true. Uh, so you can find the fully educated bot now at Hemingwords on Twitter. Uh, it spits out a few of these every couple hours. And uh, you can suggest stories to the bot too. Uh, and it will tweet the resulting collaboration. Uh, of course, uh, let it, uh, having the bot tweet what people say to it is exactly what got that bot Tay in trouble. So this opens the door to significant abuse, which is why this bot has more filters than I have ever put on anything. Um, for instance, the phrase crown jewels will get rejected because it has Jew in it. 
So if you trip the filter, the bot is programmed to send along a vague but clear six-word rejection. Uh, and one last note, uh, because as the bot generated stories, I found that a lot of them seemed like they had to have been written by humans. Uh, so I actually wrote a program uh, that compared my bot stories uh, to the data set of human stories that I had found uh, to see if it had ripped any of them off. And for all the ones I generated, which was over a 1,000, uh, only two were written by both real people and this machine. In the end, I'll be happy. I've never felt so alone. <laughs> Thank you. Just find me here or uh, on Twitter. Wow. He's so smart. Wow. We're going to explain to you what neural networks are in a second, but yeah. he used them. That's fresh. Yeah, we were like, fuck, Dubbin's going to explain neural networks, and then we're going to try to explain it and not know what we're talking about. Messed our, up our whole vibe. <laughs> That's terrible. Well, so... <gasps> yes, okay. Oh, great. Okay. So we were just talking about how we are so amazingly smart. The human mind is so amazing. The, the ability for a computer to be able to get to that level is so... It's thankfully far away. But... But it's not. It's closer than we think. It's closer than we think. So it's because we think that the future is going to be like the past, like how quick science moves. So we're like, oh, if you went back 50 years and we're like, look at my phone, they'd be like, wow. I mean, I don't know if that's how we all think about the past. <laughs> yeah, that's how yeah. I think about the past for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we just think that we're on a, a progression because all we can see is our near past. Um, but it turns out that every, that we are actually in a technological um, exponential curve. Do we have that picture? Yeah, so we oh, pulled up hell, a graph. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this graph. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so can't see a thing on it, but, <laughs> but I'll, I'll walk you through it. <laughs> Take you over here. So um, here we have uh, the exponential growth growth of computing, uh, and this is the um, capability of our computers, and this is actually an exponential um, line. It's like 10 to the fifth, 10 to the 10, 10 to the boop, 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 all the way up. Uh, and then this is years, uh, and this is how smart different things are and how we've reached you know, the intelligence of a mosquito in our computing ca capability. And this is already a exponential curve. Um, so it's exponential to the exponential. That's tetric, I think. <laughs> um, uh, it's not. Um, but we think that we're on this line. But in fact, tomorrow will be so much faster today than today. And in fact, there, there are estimates that yeah. we could reach the singularity. So that's the point where everyone either dies or we all become, as DJ Steve Aoki believes, immortal. And that's true. He came on a show I used to work at, and he was like, we're all going to be immortal. It's going to be amazing. But the, the, uh, <laughs> the estimate is 2045. That's an early estimate. So <laughs> it's coming. Yeah, if Trump doesn't kill us all, <laughs> we're going to be killed by computers. Or live forever. It'll be fine. OK, um, so, so why is the singularity such a big deal anyway? You have something that's generally intelligent. We've been generally intelligent for a while. What happens next? Why would that be so bad? Um, the theory is that once we achieve general AI, 
super intelligent AI happens instantly. Uh, because, because while we are humans who are stuck in our meat bodies with our meat brains, um, if a computer's like, I want to be smarter, in theory, it like has the capacity to do that because like it can find more servers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> more servers can come into the situation. It can upgrade its hardware in a way that we cannot. Yeah. And so as soon as it becomes as smart as us, because we were smart enough to build it, um, it will be smart enough to improve itself. And that will build on top of each other so fast uh, that we won't even be able, it'll happen in, they think, a blink of an eye. Yeah. Um, so, so how yeah. how exactly does like a general intelligence become a super intelligence? Because um, like robots are powerless unless we program them to like have power. Um, so we're gonna talk about machine learning. Oh, here's Oscar Isaac. It's gonna be a lot like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you tore up the picture. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm about to tear up the fucking dance floor, dude. <laughs> Check it out. Yes. Has anyone seen this movie? Very oh, good movie. Okay, good. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so it becomes smarter with machine learning, which is like what Devin talked about. So the old way of thinking about um, artificial intelligence is that you're building a giant dictionary, and you are just adding as many one-to-one -one connections as you possibly can, uh, and your dictionary needs to be as big as the world because otherwise a computer will never be able to know any of the things. So... Um, so like it only knew how to do the things that you told it how to do. It's like how it used to be. So like you tell a computer how to play chess, like if this happens you do this, blah, 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 and then it like knows how to beat humans. But it would never know any moves that you hadn't told it. Yeah, so now what scientists and engineers are trying to do is like build a computer that knows how to like learn. So instead of building a dictionary, they're building like a neural network that like can learn. And it's not going to be an actual silicon brain like Oscar Isaac, but, you know. Oh, speaking of Oscar Isaac, uh, <laughs> I didn't tell Madeline I was putting this slide in, but I <coughs> watched Ex Machina over winter break, and I was just like, Donald Gleason is really hot, and I just feel like we need to talk about it. <laughs> and so part of the reason that I believe Donald Gleason is hot is because he looks different every single day. <laughs> there are all these different versions of him. He's got an Irish accent. His dad is Brendan Gleeson from that movie about an Irish priest. Um, and, and maybe most importantly is he is a Weasley. He's Bill Weasley. <laughs> I don't care. He's a bad look. It's <laughs> you know what? Honestly, it's not a hot thing to look different every time I take a picture of you. That's not a hot thing. Well, okay, but maybe if you're like, I don't like Donald Gleason with dark hair and a beard, maybe you like Donald Gleason with light hair, looking this, like he's 12 years old. This goes, <laughs> this goes back. I will find the smallest boy, to quote Dubbin's bot. <laughs> this goes back to a fundamental disagreement that Blythe and I have, which is that I don't like people from the British Isles, and I, there's just nothing that I can do about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, um, while Madeline and I go backstage and uh, punch each other, um, <laughs> we have our next performer who, speaking of Donald Gleason, our next performer is also hot. Uh, 
has abs, which I don't think Donald Gleason does. Uh, and you've seen him do stand-up all around town. You have probably seen his amazing set on Conan. Uh, he's developing a TV show about his flipping life. Please give it up for Joel Kim Booster. Thank you so much. Give it up for Blythe and Madeline, everybody. Um, okay, wow. So this we're just going to jump right into it. Um, like Rob, I am also an expert and a scientist. Um, and I'm here to teach you about science and things. Um, and the only way, and I just think, um, honestly, I didn't realize that I was supposed to be teaching you real knowledge at this show. Um, <laughs> but it is real. Um, what I'm about to speak to you about, it's, I don't think we talk enough about gay robots. Um, <laughs> It's a subject that I, it's, it's really dear to my heart. You know, they're uh, sort of an underrepresented um, minority in the robot community. Um, and I think it's important that you learn a little bit about their history and like what they're doing today. Because look around, like just like regular people, there are gay robots around you all the time and you don't even know it, you know? Like <laughs> this person next to you could be gay. You don't know, you know? Um, and the phone in your pocket could be gay too. Okay, um, so um, we'll just start from the beginning. Like, we'll start from two of history's most famous gay robots. Uh, you guys are probably familiar with these two. They've been around since childhood. I know C-3PO personally is maybe the first gay character period that I ever saw on television. Um, so that was like really important to me. And C-3PO like especially um, was a little bit more like flamboyant and out about his sexuality. Like he was in, they were in a relationship, like everybody knows that, but like <laughs> R2D2 was like a little bit more quiet about it. He was like, he would introduce C3PO as like his roommate, you know? Like, and it's like, that's because of the time, you know? But C3PO would say, like, no, this is my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> tragically, could not get married. Um, because it was the 70s. But C-3PO has been around a lot, you know, like he like advised this lady on her clothes, you know, <laughs> and then also was around to fuck her son. Uh, what? That's so wrong. What a naughty boy. Oh, what a pervert. Um, but that's like a cool thing about gay robots is like they can fuck your moms, they can fuck your sons, they can fuck anybody because they're, they live forever. Um, <laughs> And that's cool. And like, so like everybody knows that C-3PO is like this sassy robot that knew about languages and fashion and things like that. And that's cool. But what a lot of people don't know is that C-3PO is also, oh no, this is too small. This is a, a great Photoshop picture of C-3PO throwing the first brick at Stonewall. Um, <laughs> and I'm, it is honest to God so tragic that you cannot see it. Um, but yeah, not a lot of people know this, but C-3PO was at the Stonewall riots. Um, you know, he, he gets whitewashed, you know, in that famous movie. Um, again, you can't really tell, but this is, a, uh, this is just C-3PO throwing the first brick in the Stonewall movie. Um, wow, that's sort of the centerpiece of, piece of my presentation, and you guys can't even see it. Um, that's really sad. Um, Almost as sad as C-3PO being whitewashed as a young white twink uh, in the Stonewall movie. That's a deep cut, thank you. Um, so yeah, there's like been a lot of gay uh, robots in the Star Wars universe that we're all very familiar with. Like, did anyone see Rogue One? 
Rogue One, Star Wars fans. I, my favorite part of that movie was New Gay Robot. Um, I think the New Gay Robot was really great. This is actually like a real thing. You could have replaced New Gay Robot with Andrew Rannells and like not changed a single line of dialogue and it would have tracked as a gay storyline. Like clearly they are in love, you know? Like, um, oh wow, that shouldn't have been a black heart. That was an emoji heart when I did it. But, um, <laughs> Again, we gotta roll with the punches here, you know? Like, sometimes these presentations just don't turn out the way you want. Um, but no, they're in love, clearly, and that's why he hates Felicity Jones's character so much. Uh, we've all been there, right? Um, that's pretty important. Oh, and then the other new Star Wars robot, BBA, also very gay. BBA actually stands for Bareback Bottom <laughs> 8. Um, he's a nasty little bottom pig. He's a nasty little. And guess what? Thumbs up, that ain't his thumb, bitch, okay? He ain't sticking his thumb out at you. He's being a pervert. BBA, BBA, eight inches, that's what that stands for. That's disgusting. <laughs> I can't believe, where was I when I did this? Um, oh yeah, he is in love with Wally. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go through, this is going to be a lot shorter than it was supposed to be. Um, let's go just through, I want to go through some like fame, like so that's like the history of gay robots, like those are the, his the ra gay robots that you knew and love. And then like let's just go through some of the gay robots today that you, like little known gay robots. Like not a lot of people know that these robots are gay, but like NFL robot gay, you know? <laughs> Very bravely gay, too, you know, like in an industry where it's like not always okay to be gay as a robot, like, um, but he, he comes out and you, you've seen his dance moves. That's not a straight robot dancing around in the corner of your television screens every day, every Sunday. No, no, sir. He is a gay man. Um, gay robot, rather. Um, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, all of these robots, you seem to have gendered the male. That seems wrong. Well, look at this bull dyke. Um, she is gay as hell. Look at how she's built. She doesn't have an hourglass figure and she don't care. Very important. Um, printers are gay. Scanners are straight. These guys are queer. <laughs> they can do a little bit of everything. They do not want to settle, you know? like. They're open to whatever. Um, you probably deal with them all the time. Um, these guys, uh, the robots in the Hall of Presidents. Now, I want to be clear, these do not reflect the actual sexualities of the presidents. Um, the robots in the Hall of Presidents at Disney World are different from the presidents, okay? I don't know if you guys know that. We do not turn presidents after they leave into robots. Um, that was a concern of mine growing up, and I just want to clear the air here and make sure you guys know that we do not cart the presidents off and turn them into cyborgs. Um, but these, this guy is gay, this guy is questioning, Robot Barack, um, gay, actually bi. Um, lots of people say they're bi and they're not, but this one is. Um, straight, um, give it a couple more years, and gay. Um, I could go through all of them, but I won't. Um, how many presidents are there in there? Like 50? Um, and then, of course, like, 
we're nearing the end of um, my presentation now, and I want to touch on, I know you guys were thinking about these robots a lot, and you were, you were wondering, like, who's what, you know? And to answer your question, Alexa is gay and Siri is straight. Um, <laughs> now, only, Siri is only straight when you have a lady voice, but, very importantly, Siri, are you gay? Yes, you. You flirt. <laughs> yes, you. Who? Me. Oh, come on. Don't be coy. Are you gay? Who? Me. <laughs> yes. That's what I figured. <laughs> Are you in love with me? No comment. <laughs> That's not an answer. I'm not sure I understand. Are you gay? I'm sorry, Emmy Award winning Joel Kim Booster. <laughs> that name is just for the two of us. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand. Okay, enough of you. Um, so I guess like in conclusion, if you change your series voice to a sexy South African man, um, then he's gay. Um, all right, now I'm gonna open it up to some questions. Um, a little section I like to call a talk back. I like to end all my sets in a talk back. Um, so who has questions? Don't avoid eye contact with me. <laughs> Raise your hand. Okay, yes, you. How does Wally feel about BB-8? Um, BB, he like fucks BB-8 on the reg. So I think he's like, cool with BB-8, but he also knows that BB-8 will never s settle down, you know? Um, he wants like a heteronormative relationship and BB-8 is like, I'm wild, I'm free, I'm young, you know? Um, and so it's, it's rough. And that's like a very common sort of thing that happens with gay robots. <laughs> Next question. Yes. Is Roomba gay? Is Roomba gay? Roomba is asexual, baby. Uh, <laughs> asexual, doesn't care, could not be bothered with your genitals. Um, no, sir, I don't know if that's how asexual people actually feel. <laughs> um, but asexual robots, I am an expert, and I can say <laughs> that they definitely don't care about genitals um, in any way. Next question. Yes. The Terminator is not a robot, sir. He's in a movie, okay? <laughs> so maybe, like, we're doing science here. So, like, get your head out of the clouds. Um, Maybe just real questions. All right, so since you guys are clearly not taking this very seriously, um, I'm just gonna go. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Booster. That was so good. I've learned so much. I, yes. Um, oh, fuck, I have to do this. Oh, brother. Here it comes. Oh, no. We're learning every day. Um, so, we, we left off, um, with oh, a... Oh, Donald Gleason. Oh, god dang it. <laughs> oh, um, I'm gonna name my son Donald also. Oh, FYI. All right. Well, I'm gonna name my son Leonard, so there you go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, move on. Okay, so, all right, so we told you about how, like, um, before we got into Donald Gleason, my future husband and son, um, we... <laughs> <laughs> We were talking about how uh, we 
need, if we're going to get to general, it's not like plugging everything into a dictionary, like the biggest dictionary in the whole world. It's making neural networks and like machine learning is the key to blah, blah, blah. So we thought that to explain that further, we would give you a real life example. So this is something that really, so it's Google Translate. And as some of you guys might know, Google Translate used to suck. Um, like like a month ago, it used to suck. Yeah, very recently, it was horrible. And now it doesn't suck. Yeah, so the reason that uh, your Spanish teacher used to be like, don't use Google Translate, other than that's cheating, uh, is because it was so bad. Um, but then they got this guy, Jeff Dean, on the case at Google. Jeff Dean is like number one smartest guy at Google. They have... Jeff Dean facts, like you have Chuck Norris facts, like they freaking love Jeff Dean. Yeah. And he's, so he's like, lovable, man. He he's is, lovable. I would say hot. I would make out with him. All right, I'm on board. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> Both of us on board. Uh, so, <laughs> so they have Jeff Dean facts like, uh, we learned this from an article, uh, like Jeff Dean's pin is the last four digits of pi. And... Uh, and when Alexander Graham Bell made his first call, he had a voicemail from Jeff Dean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a really great guy. So. Yeah. So um, basically, they were like, Jeff Dean, Google Translate sucks so much. Can you please help us make Google Translate good? So he was like, um, let's build it a brain. So basically, he and his staff of men, who are mostly white men and some Asian men, not a lot of women, Maybe not any women. Uh, they spent years like doing that thing that all boys do, where they're like, "Let's sleep at work and like only eat pizza and wear <laughs> hoodies and build a computer that will like change the world." This is why things are gonna be bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. So they, so they spent all this time building a brain that could like learn, and they like gave it a bunch of books that were like translated from like English to like Chinese and French and like they gave it all of this information. That's what Dubbin was doing as he set up all he set up was an algorithm. He didn't put any content in it into it. He didn't tell any anything to the algorithm except the data that he put into it. And as he put more and more data into it, um, it started building itself uh, a better and better system and we saw it improve. And that's exactly what they've been doing at Google Translate, which is that instead of giving it a gigantic dictionary, a one-to-one -one connection with all sorts of things, it sort of just tells it, get better at learning. Just be a better learner. And the one mission we're going to give you is a bunch of these translation documents, but your mission is to improve yourself. And so it does that by increasing um, strength of certain nodes and decreasing strength of other nodes, just like we think our brain does. Uh, and so you have this creature, Google Translate, that is getting better and better at improving itself rather than just a bigger and bigger dictionary. Yeah, and like whereas like the old dictionary could be like, here's how you say dog in like Chinese. Like it couldn't figure out sentences and stuff because like language is nuanced or whatever. But I went to Harvard. But like when you like teach it how to have a brain, it can like pick up on nuances and like learn from every time it sees it. So anyways, so they spent like two years being like, we need bigger servers. That's like actually <laughs> 
two million paragraphs of the article. I was like, but where will they get the server? They need special <laughs> servers. Yeah, they're like, they're going to be so big. So after like two... <laughs> So after two years, they find the servers in one night. They're like, let's not even tell anyone. Let's just like change it to the new neural network, Google Translate. And they did. And within like five minutes, Twitter was like, oh my god, Google Translate is so good now. Check it out. It's really amazing. Yeah, just plug in like, if you speak two languages, plug in like a paragraph of a book and like see what happens. So and if you don't, you should. <laughs> <laughs> and so now we just have a re one really good narrow AI. We haven't yeah. gotten to general yet, but um, so... So why is that bad? Like, how could that, that sounds great. Yeah. Why should we be afraid of that? Yeah, why? Uh, so there's a couple things that could happen, things that are may like uh, jobs could get taken. Mm -hmm. You know, as robots become better and better, smarter and smarter, they start taking our jobs. Yeah. And then, uh, which is already happening, they're already taking our jobs. Sorry, buddy. Um, another concern that our scientist wrote an article about, I don't think he's here, Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! Okay. Yay. Okay, so we'll get to you later. Stay there. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> thank, okay, great. So, I hope this is what your article is about, or I didn't understand it right. We did our uh, best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, another concern is that, like, the stuff that we're feeding into these, like, neural networks, like, history is racist and sexist, I don't know if you know, and, like, the current day is racist and sexist, so, like, what we're feeding in will spew out results that are, like, also bad. So your FICO score may be based on your race, which is already happening. Yeah. Um, so those two things would be bad about AI, uh, and they're already happening, so that's no good, but um, what's the third thing? Oh, Oh no, the Terminator, a super intelligent AI would exact revenge because it now knows how badly we treated it um, and it wants to murder us. Yeah, and speaking of which, I had a special request from an audience member who wants uh, me to mention a thought experiment called the Basilisk, which is like, I know, well here we go, which is the idea... <laughs> Y'all are about to be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> It's the idea that, like, if when AI becomes super intelligent, it will be able to know if you personally helped it on the path to become, like, real and sentient. And if it finds out that you tried to stand in its way, or even if it finds out that you knew that it was trying to do this and you didn't help it, it will kill you. So, uh, by now you hearing about this, if you don't go out and actively try to make AI, it'll kill you when it happens. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just by hearing it, yeah. mm, bad news. But, but luckily, we don't think that's going to happen because, like, computers don't hold grudges. They're not humans. They, like, don't have morals. Yeah, but that doesn't shouldn't make you feel any better because it doesn't matter if they're exacting revenge or not. All that matters is whether when they become super intelligent, they care about us. And if they don't care about us, it doesn't matter if they're mad, we could just be in their way at whatever mission is their mission. So all that Hollywood stuff about them being very mad and killing us all, target, you know, Will Smith, like, one by one or whatever, <laughs> like, no, it's not going to happen like that. What might happen is that they have some special mission that when they become super intelligent, it will become harder and harder for us to understand exactly what that mission is because it's going to be so much smarter than us. And what if its mission <laughs> is to increase biodiversity on the Earth and we are standing in its way? Or, <laughs> well, 
that would be rough. Um, or, like, it really needs to make a bunch of paper clips. <laughs> and we would be better paper clip material yeah. than, than people making paper clips. So it just <laughs> kills us real quick, reconfigures all of our material into paper clips. Done. Yeah. So it's like not exacting revenge. It's just like it's like how we feel whenever we extinct an animal. It's like no hard feelings, but like you weren't important to us. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Think about, you know, exterminating all those ants. <laughs> they were just in your freaking way and now they're exterminated. So sorry. Yeah. That's us and the super intelligent creature that we are running towards creating. <laughs> <laughs> And now... And now, while you let that sink in, we have our final comedian <laughs> of the night. <laughs> uh, she's so funny. Uh, she's all over public access TV. Oh and boy. she hosts the show at Star Bar, I believe. And she is going to be in the new season of Portlandia. Give it up for Anna Fabrega. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, so for the show tonight, I um, wanted to do a little experiment to prove a point that I think AI is capable of replacing a lot of tasks that we do right now. But there's one thing that I don't think that technology can do, and that is write good plays. <laughs> and so what I did is I used uh, auto-predict when I was texting and I opened up a note and I started writing and I would add punctuation gradually but I wouldn't, I had a rule that I wouldn't start a, uh, a word. I just had to go with whatever it said which meant I had a lot of sentences starting with I, I'm, and yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I put it into a different document. I split it up. Uh, to try to make it make a little bit of sense. And I added some punctuation and took some liberties there. But now I have a little scene that I would like to get somebody to read with me. Um, would anybody like to volunteer to... You can just raise your hand if, if you're interested. I have a copy for you. Okay, do you have uh, any formal theater training? <laughs> you do? Okay, great. Thank you. Do you want to come up? What's your name? Ethan. Ethan. Nice to meet you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, you want to grab a mic? Well, so uh, I wish I had known your name was Ethan because I just wrote guest. But I can cross it out and put Ethan if that's easier. Otherwise, we can just, just go for it. I'll be guest tonight. Okay, so here is our scene. Hello. I'm sorry for you guys. Yeah, that's what I mean. I don't have time for you to be there a little too late. I'm going nuts and raisins, and then I'm going out. <laughs> I know you're the only person that came. I'm so happy to have you read this book for me. Yeah, that's great. Thanks so much. I love your music, and you are so great. I don't think it's a weird thing to say that I'm sorry for you. I, I have no idea what to do, but it's not going well. I'm going on a trip tomorrow, and I'll probably get up and then go home. I just wanted to say hi. <laughs> and thanks for asking me if I'm a fan. I am not sure what I did when I was there for a couple hours before going out to dinner with my grandparents. I don't think it's a good time for me to be like a little sister. I have no worries. I hope you get it. I'm so sorry for that. 
This is a very sad thing. That wasn't in the script. I'm going here and there. Now, I'm not trying to make a video about this stuff, but I'm sure you're going to have a great day today or tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I have a lot more sense than I thought. Oh, that's, that's, that's me, that's me. I have a lot more sense than I thought I had a couple days ago, but it's not going to work out for me a week later. I'm not sure how I can be happy. I'm so sorry to be sorry for that. <laughs> but it's not like you really do anything for me. Yeah, that's why I'm so good at making you sure you don't think it's a weird idea to show you what I want. And you know, I'm not trying to talk with someone else, but then again, just be happy when you're submissive or whatever. You're talking with me, and you don't know I don't have a problem with you, but you can make it better for him. And I hope you're not sure what he did with the other people. He is a good person. But he doesn't have the right to say that he has no reason for it because he's a very different kind of guy who would have come to the party and then you would have done the same thing. That was a little bit more complicated than the first thing. I did not know I could have been there before you. <laughs> but I, it wasn't even funny when I was talking about you. I thought you would have come to be a nice person, but you have no idea. <laughs> who I am. And I think you should know that there are other issues <laughs> that you have. Don't worry about it now. <laughs> it's not going to happen again. That's why I'm so good. Yeah, that's great for you, but I'm not sure if you want me to go on Facebook or Twitter or something, but I'll probably never be able to. <laughs> I'm going on a date with my family for Christmas. And, and now it's so weird. They're always going online, but I'm not sure how to use the internet. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm going to be a little <laughs> sad. Don't worry, I'll let them know you're not going. <laughs> this is my favorite song of all time. Can we just have a good time together without you doing this stuff like a weird person? I'm starting to think you aren't a good friend. Why don't you have a show on Saturday morning with the best friends ever and see how you feel? I have no friends and I'm not going to work for the rest of my life. <laughs> you have no idea why I'm so happy. Would you want to make a video about how it is terrible to be like you? <laughs> No, you are the only person who can know that. I have a bad feeling about this game. I'm sorry to say it, but you aren't even here. What are you up to? I'm starting my new job, and my brother is the only person that knows. Okay, thanks for the following reason. Imagine a world where we can talk about how much we have been through. I can't believe I'm going to be up for a week. <laughs> Before you get married, you have to leave your house and leave the door open. How do we get to meet the people? The, the best way to work is to be helpful and easy with a little bit of fun. Use your own photos. But I'm by myself. That sounds like a good idea to me. Maybe you should be able to see what a beautiful woman can do. It was this week or last week when she asked me if she could have a little bit of water, and then she said, is there a little bit more? 
So I got my phone and my laptop, and then I went to bed. I know what you think about me. And I don't care. It's so good to see you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. And scene. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So I think I have proven that you cannot auto-predict a play. Um, for those of you that don't use auto-predict, it makes me laugh so much every time. But that I guess that's an optimistic note to end on, that we will always have theater. <laughs> Thanks. You gotta turn that on again. Oh, yeah. oh boy. No, I think it's on actually. Yeah. Okay, oh. so now we talk and then we open a new thing. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so remember when we were like, maybe you'll die because the computer wants you to be a paperclip. So, how do we make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, um, we better program all computers that are getting nearer and nearer towards general artificial intelligence. Because remember, once you hit general artificial intelligence, bang. You turn into super intelligent, and then we all die uh, in flames. Yeah. Um, so you got to make sure that they care about us, and you program them caring about us. Yeah, because if you don't, you might get like a monkey's paw situation where you think you ask for this thing, and then you got this crazy thing. But the problem is, like the people, as we saw, <laughs> <laughs> you ask for one thing. Uh, the people that are coding this are like a lot of white men, and like I don't want white men to decide anything about my life, but I especially do. <laughs> 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 Just yeah. kidding. So it's like, how do we make sure they know to program it to not? I don't know. I just feel like if a white man codes a super intelligent AI, it's going to like not care about me, but like also actively oppress me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's going to be rough. But there is at least one idea as to what we will code into all of our intelligence that will prevent the monkey's paw situation. So I'm going to read it out loud. Uh, this is by a futurist and rationalist, Eliezer Yudowski. Our coherent extrapolated volition is our wish, if we knew more, thought faster, were more the people we wish we were, had grown up farther together, where the extrapolation converges rather than diverges, where our wishes cohere rather than interfere, extrapolated as we wish that extrapolated, interpreted <laughs> as we wish that interpreted. Okay! <laughs> I'll get on it! <laughs> So hopefully whoever codes the first general artificial intelligence will remember to put that into their design documents. <laughs> <laughs> so Elias yeah. Udaski is an interesting person, but um, I think he uh, is a little optimistic. Yeah. I don't know what any of that means, but I think the takeaway is, like, if we program them to care about us, it could be good. I think what it means is, like, <laughs> Whatever I say, don't take it like I mean. Just like, <laughs> please, whatever you do, cohere rather than interfere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if we can somehow teach them to be better than us, then maybe they won't kill us. Uh, and then they'll upload our consciousness to the cloud and we'll live forever. Yeah. <laughs> 
Which that sounds horrible to me, like. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it sounds good to some people. That's the optimistic view of what might happen, because if we somehow get it right and these super intelligent beings care about us, they can fix all these problems that we don't know how to fix, like, for example, mortality. Yeah, yeah. Or Global warming. Yeah, maybe they could figure out all the weather systems and with their nanobots, which are real, I can tell you about nanobots later, uh, <laughs> they'll just fix climate change and we'll be fine, or fix racism, or fix hunger, whatever, we'll be great. Yeah. Maybe. Make more <laughs> songs that sound like Pinkerton. Oh, well, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, yeah, but if they don't care about us, um, then uh, they'll kill us all or whatever. But maybe they won't. There's some counter arguments. Yeah, there are some people who don't think this group of scientists who uh, we've been representing um, are correct. Right. So one counter argument is the embodiment problem. Yeah, and that's a problem where, like, sure, you're computer program is super intelligent but it doesn't have arms nor legs in order to enact anything and it won't have easy access to that so it might be plenty smart but it can't do anything yeah uh, another counter argument is this thing called the emu war which is apparently true can i tell the story oh uh, yes i didn't know best. about it until yesterday uh, apparently there was a time when australia was like there's too many emus and they're running all around they're really big birds and we got to kill them all that's true <laughs> it was the true. 1930s and so they with all of their human intelligence all of their guns all of their jeeps all of their humvees uh went out and tried to kill all the emus they had machine guns mounted on jeeps <laughs> but the emus won the war and this is true <laughs> They were unable to exterminate the emus because they, the emus picked up guerrilla warfare <laughs> tactics and <laughs> won. They won yeah. the emu war. So, uh, which just goes to show that even uh, a like being that is less intelligent than you can sometimes win. Yeah. So maybe you know us against a super intelligent robot, eh, we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, another counter argument is that <laughs> we can't build anything right. We've never built a system that's unhackable. So yeah, they hacked freaking Ashley Madison. There's just there's <laughs> no there's no way that whatever we create we couldn't then disable because there's always a backdoor. Whatever thinks Obama. Yeah, yeah. Russia. <laughs> R.I.P. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, I have an uh, I have an impression. Also speaking of R.I.P. Obama, Russia, <laughs> if you can find a way to hack the AI. I'm sure the press will greatly reward you for it. <laughs> See, that was good. That was really good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so maybe that'll save us. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, and then the other counter argument is that AI needs data to get better. So if we don't give it to it. Or maybe the data doesn't even exist that would make it super intelligent. You know, we have all this translation data, but we don't have, you know, I don't know, the daily movements of every human atom, yeah. whatever. We don't have the data, so it won't get better. Yeah, but the problem is, like, even with all these counter arguments, there's a lot of people who think the singularity is going to happen, like Elon Musk and Obama's old, like, science person before, in the time when the government believed in science. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, and also there's this theory that, like, the reason we can't find aliens is because, like, all life gets to a point where they get just smart enough to kill themselves. Yeah. By doing this. Yeah. So, <laughs> rough. Uh, the major idea of that is that it'll probably be climate change, but let's hope it's robots, because, <laughs> yeah. man, that would be so embarrassing. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So, that's uh, the idea of the show, that uh, we could, if we design AI that cares about us, we could live forever. If we don't, we die. But...
we are just dumb idiots who <laughs> don't have advanced degrees, so we invited someone who does to the show. So, wait, let me introduce, let me introduce them. Okay. Uh, okay, so the middle case scenario that we mentioned a while back is that, like, the data we feed these, like, neural networks, the machine learning little robot boys, uh, <laughs> is sexist and racist, and so we're only getting out shit that is also that. So to discuss this with us uh, is uh, a man who is a doctoral <laughs> student. He's a doctoral <laughs> student at Columbia University. Uh, and I copied this from his bio because it's very complicated. He's in the early stages of writing a history of machine learning that explores how material contingency, cultural assumptions, and technological influences have shaped the construction of benchmark corpora in ways that have historically perpetuated or reinforced systematic inequality. So please give it up for Aaron Plasek. So we've been talking about um, we've been talking about the singularity, otherwise known as the nerd apocalypse. <laughs> uh, but you um, you kind of think that maybe we should be thinking about something else. Should we be as scared as we are, and what should we be scared about instead? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, I'm not worried about the singularity at all. Uh, good. Good. At all. You uh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I am worried, uh, but not about that exactly. Mm -hmm. I am worried about machine learning. Um, so you talked about narrow and like there's sort of general intelligence. Sort of, sort of the problem with uh, the singularity is no one really knows how a bunch of, the idea is you have a bunch, enough narrow intelligences working together, you just sort of blob into a general intelligence. We don't have any good intelligence at all. <laughs> uh, so that makes it really problematic to like argue that computations per second are somehow going to make something smarter. You can do something very dumb very quickly over and over again. Uh, <laughs> see, uh, yeah, so uh, yes, so I'm not worried about that. But I am very worried about uh, how machine learning, oh sorry, yeah, here we go. Uh, so much deeper. Uh, or maybe it sounds exactly the opposite to you guys. Uh, so I am worried about machine learning being used uh, in new ways to sort of replace activities that were once done by humans. So for instance, I'm worried about things like uh, recidivism scores. So they're using machine learning uh, to calculate recidivism scores. And these scores have already been used by judges to increase people's sentences or lower people's sentences. And as ProPublica, a uh, wonderful organization, has shown or has argued, uh, those, those scores are profoundly racist. Uh, and it's because the data itself uh, is biased, unsurprisingly, right? Where do you get the data from to train your machine? This is a problem that happens again and again for like machine translation, for like the whole history of machine learning since, since the 40s, right? You need data to train a machine, uh, and where do you get that data? Well, frequently you get that data from historical data sets, and those have important uh, biases and assumptions uh, that are almost always ignored. Uh, so that's that's my concern. Yeah. Rough. Oof. <laughs> um, yeah. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we never end on a happy yeah. note. 
Welcome to reality and from America. Uh, so if all of history, basically all of this data we have is like sexist and racist and like ableist, capitalist, colonialist, uh, like how is it possible, do you think, to like make a machine like an AI that like wouldn't be that? Like is there a way to do that even though all of our data is so problematic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's possible. Uh, but, the, but a lot of these decisions are ethical decisions, so they're, they're decisions that should be made uh, and discussed in public, right? So another sort of consequence of using machine learning programs is that frequently the programs you're using and the data you're using are both uh, classified as company secrets, right, like trade secrets. So you don't get to see any of the, so the recidivism example, for instance, that uh, algorithm and the data you don't get to see at all. Uh, and that's, those are like contracts that they've signed with the states. Uh, so, there's lots of examples like that, right? Uh, you hear things about uh, Facebook showing different ads to different groups uh, that frequently, even if you don't have uh, actual you know, categories for race and gender, you have proxies that correlate almost one for one with race and gender. So uh, even though you're not explicitly saying you're doing it, uh, you, you still are like being biased in various ways. and so. Uh, it's a real challenge to try to figure out how to have a conversation about those issues, right? How machine learning is being used, rather than machine learning frequently being a sort of prototype by a large organization, uh, usually a company, right? I mean, Google is a great example. Uh, Google. I mean, I'm not hating on any large company, uh, but well, I'm a little bit. But uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit. But uh, but it it, it uh, causes problems, right? When you develop uh, systems to replace humans to be something that traditionally requ required human judgment uh, and then gets used uh, in a way to sort of replace humans uh, when you're making decisions about about humans' lives, so. So the, the first part is just show us what you're doing and then hopefully once we all look at the racist stuff they're doing, we'll make it better? Yeah, um, so if transparency was the answer, ah. And so transparency is definitely part of it. Uh, so yes, I am arguing for more transparency, um, and many other people have, uh, but it's not just transparency, right? Because when you're using machine learning systems, so my favorite example, uh, such as it is, uh, is the idea of word counts. So we all sort of understand what a word is, we think we know how to count words, uh, right? We all sort of agree we know how to do that thing. It's I very know. straightforward. We know what a word is. Yeah, Devin knows how to count up to six words. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but if you use like a word processing program like OpenOffice and then say Microsoft Word and then say Apple Pages and then I don't know, whatever else, you'll find that often the word counts for those programs give you different word counts for the same document. Uh, and that's because uh, the algorithms they're using are different. It's actually very complicated. Uh, it's actually, when you get into the weeds of this, it's actually very difficult to decide what a word is. Uh, and so you have to sort of make choices. Um, why does that matter? Well, it starts to matter when you use uh, word counts to analyze. So you, so you, have, to, you have to do something with words. Uh, you have to count them somehow. So you use some tokenizer. You count a bunch of words. But then those word counts are used to uh, effectively classify communities based on their language. Uh, I mean, you can use this for advertising, but you can use this. You can you can stay up on a dark night and imagine how you might use uh, people's language as a way of classifying them and like what kinds of problems that might produce. 
So, I mean, people have been doing this for quite a while, I think, already. Um, but the crazy thing is, depending on your tokenizer, depending on how you count words, you might get very different answers to the question, is this person a terrorist or not? So, yeah. Fun. Simple thing. <laughs> yeah. word, word counts. Who knew, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, like, reading through all my questions. They're all like, how, Aaron, can you <laughs> save the world? <laughs> Uh, Jesus Christ. Um, we, we can save the world. Like, all of us can save yeah. the world by being like, oh, we should talk about these issues and be aware of these issues. And, like, I mean, like you said, like, the credit scores is a thing. Uh, you know, self-driving cars is a thing. Uh, I mean, it's not that all these things are bad. I, I think self-driving cars might be awesome. Uh, but it does produce some real problems that are different, right? So a self-driving car, uh, if you judge it, on the kinds of mistakes a human would make, you might be able to argue it makes less mistakes. Uh, however, because it's a machine learning system, because it's been trained, uh, the mistakes it does make, humans wouldn't necessarily make, right? So it won't just make some of the mistakes that humans make. It'll make very different mistakes. Uh, and so, I mean, that's just a conversation we have to have about like how these systems are used uh, and how they change the meaning of certain activities, work, labor, economics. <laughs> Could you imagine a system where the AI that we're developing help us fix racism and sexism? Like maybe we only feed it like bell hooks. Yeah, Audre <laughs> Lord. If we just like, yeah, could we ask it to help? You know, it's not going to make the same mistakes that uh, us humans <laughs> make. Maybe it can help. Uh, I mean, so you can use machine learning systems as a kind of counterfactual to your own activities. Right, so you can use various kinds of machine learning approaches to analyze literature. Uh, and I know there's a number of people at Columbia that in the English department right now that are doing that. But the point isn't to like the computer give the answer. The point is like this is a counterfactual. This is a counterpoint to my interpretation, right? And so it serves to complicate my own understanding, right? So in the same way, I think machine learning systems can help us start to think about these issues in new ways precisely because it poses new problems uh, and perhaps gives us counterpoints to ways we would look at the problems. That being said, like, I mean, machines will solve nothing that we can't solve ourselves. You, ha you have to tell, you have oh to tell a machine <laughs> how, to, how to learn, right? Uh, and so then, it, and, it, and whatever you tell it, it does exactly that thing a lot. So, I mean, the, the most, uh, the kind of most stunning example of a machine learning how to do something of recent uh, recently is uh, teaching a computer to play Atari video games, right? So they just gave it the pixels on the screen, they gave it a score, uh, and they said maximize the score, and they gave it like the number of lives. And from that, in a very general algorithm, it learned how to play a whole bunch of Atari games. Some much better than humans, some much worse than humans. Uh, but the point is, you have to tell the machine how it's going to improve. And precisely because we have very, we have a lot of trouble understanding how we improve, if we improve at all, uh, <laughs> if that's a thing we get to have, uh, that it's very difficult to tell something like a computer. Dang. Also, if that was a woman coding that, it would be like how to watch a bunch of boys like play Atari in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of hours watching my cousins play video games, and I never got good at any of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll you go first. Okay. Um, yeah, so you argue in this thing that we read of yours, uh, that <laughs> where it was this thing. Um, oh, yeah. Everyone, 
I would go Google it. It's called On the Cruelty of Really Writing a History of Machine Learning. It's only two pages. I'm a dumb idiot, and I understood at least 75%. <laughs> yes, highlighted. Um, yeah, so you argue, I think, <laughs> that uh, we're missing a huge contextualization about our understanding of AI. Like, what stories are currently be to being told about AI that you kind of don't think is the full picture, and what stories are missing about it? Uh, well, so <laughs> that I reminded you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, so uh, so here's the thing: uh, the narratives we have about so the narratives we have about science in general. So I work on the history of science, right? Uh, and the narratives we have about science in general are often very prob pro uh, problematic, and they're problematic in part because it, uh, they're often written by the scientists themselves, which can create this sort of like hero worship, right? Uh, that if you know anything about history or have taken a history class, like your worship is very bad if you're trying to write histories, right? Uh, it makes you uh, blind to a number of things that are going on. Uh, well, so we have this sort of peer worship that, that occurs, right, in a whole bunch of different sciences, right? Uh, but it's even worse for machine learning because we don't actually have any histories of machine learning at all. We have none. We, ha we have a few, we have some, like, popular histories of AI, we have some technical histories of AI, but we have no histories of machine learning whatsoever. And machine learning is actually the thing that we should be concerned with, not AI. And is right? that because the it's AI all like is a red private? Is, oh, sorry? is it we don't have histories because it's all like private information or? We don't have histories because, <laughs> that's a great question and I should have a good answer to that <laughs> and I don't. Uh, we don't have histories in part because it's probably such an obscure topic that lots of people are just like, I don't know, I'm gonna work on other things, not this thing. Yeah. Um, and so it's a lot of computer scientists usually talking, well, computer scientists are great. I'm not dissing <laughs> computer scientists at all. They're, yeah. they're fine, fine people. Um, importantly, they are mostly white and mostly men, mm -hmm. which is a huge problem in that field, right? And it's gotten worse, right? In the 80s, so lots of other science disciplines are getting better, right? Astronomy, I mean, it's still bad, but like they're at least moving in the right direction where computer science is, is really, really moved it's gotten much worse. Uh, I don't know. That was that was an aside. What was I? What was what, were we, what was the question? Uh, <laughs> so what well, stories are what like is not getting better? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like what? So what will we like gain by like your book about machine learning that I'm so excited to read whenever it comes out? <laughs> so excited to have it be written whenever it's done. Uh, that'll be a great day. Uh, well, I mean, so we need ways of talking about the histories of the data because frequently the histories of the data, so what you do, so when you started doing, let's say, machine translation, right? Because we talked about that earlier, yeah. right? One of the huge problems was making dictionaries because there was nothing digitized. You're using punch card machines, by the way, first of all, right, 50s. So the electronic uh, computers didn't have enough memory to actually do anything with machine translation. So it was all punch card machines. Uh, and so you just had a lot of time taking texts that had a translation that existed because you needed that one-to-one -one relationship, right? Um, so that produced, a l so you, you produced a lot of data sets. Uh, under a lot of assumptions about what language was. I mean, all machine translation in the 50s was basically, uh, in the US that is, was basically out of a concern that Russia, Russian science was getting ahead of US science. 
And they're like, the solution is we're going to not teach our scientists Russian. We're going, <laughs> we're going to teach machines uh, to translate <laughs> Russian articles to English articles, right? Uh, and it'll be great. But, but actually, it was this very circumscribed activity because you're just, you're just talking about science articles, nothing else. And really, you're talking about science articles in a very few narrow set of fields. And so that's what they were trying to translate, right? But then the next generation or the next group of, of machine translators comes along and they take you know, the data that exists built under those super constrained assumptions and then like tries to apply it to something else, right? And so this is, this is the phenomenon you see in machine learning all the time, right? Uh, a data set gets built. Uh, someone else picks up the data set for a completely different purpose, forgets all the assumptions, and that doesn't just forget. Like frequently it's very difficult to, to reconstruct what the assumptions were. Uh, and then use that data set for something entirely different. Something that perhaps the makers of the data set would be like, hey, don't be using the data set to do that. That's insane. Like that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> um, and so you get this sort of uh, myopia to where the data came from in the first place. And so one thing I guess I want to stress is both the material constraints, right? What, what kinds of problems people are trying to solve, but uh, equally important, uh, where did the data come from and what kinds of things can you learn when you start to trace this kind of elided history of data itself? Um, well, I believe that Donald Trump is going to fuck up everything in the entire world, so I was wondering if maybe you could explain to us if he will destroy this, too, if I'll make it worse. <laughs> he'll make it worse. Uh, <laughs> could he make it worse? I mean, <laughs> probably, yes. I mean, <laughs> in general, yes. Uh, I'm sure... He can, uh, but I mean, so I mean, it was kind of interesting actually, right? The, the White House was, uh, the Obama White House was doing quite a few things actually to think about AI and labor, right? In AI and economics, right? So they had four conferences uh, over the summer that they sponsored. One was at NYU here last summer, uh, I think it, uh, called AI Now, um, which you can watch the videos of the speakers of, of that conference online speak. Did you um, speak at that conference? No. No, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, uh, in full disclosure, uh, so I was an intern, and so I was doing a lot of intern things. Uh, so I got to watch, which was great. Um, so, so they were actually very concerned uh, with automation and how that's changing. And even, like, uh, I, I heard a really interesting talk about startup culture in the government, right? So he's recruited, uh, Obama recruited certain people who were directly out of a startup culture to try to have a startup approach, an agile approach to, to governing. Um, That's my job. Yeah. I'm an agile coach. Ah, ah. Sorry. Yeah, no, great, <laughs> great. Uh, uh, that's, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> Why not? Uh, but yeah, so they're trying to use those approaches. Uh, and, but a lot of this is less to do with like even machine learning than with uh, kind of startup culture in general. But of course, like startup culture and like machine learning and AI, like permeate each other in really strange ways, since especially since the 70s, right? Uh, so, and the idea that you can solve uh, all things just by writing a really great code, right? Writing a really interesting, useful program, right? Is both wonderful and that it's like, ah, I can and I can really try to solve a, a difficult problem. But at the same time, it's, it's uh, I mean, wildly arrogant, right? Like, I mean, it's just, it's just like profoundly <laughs> foolish. Uh, so, uh, so you you see both both of these things reflected in in Silicon Silicon Valley culture, but 
Um, but could he make it worse? I don't know. Yes, I mean, probably. Uh, it's not. Yeah, it's yeah, just like no. a, a final thought. Um, it was reported on Sunday in the New York Times that cabinet meetings are happening in the dark because no one knows how to turn on the lights. This is true. It was in the New York Times, and it is true. Do you think Donald Trump knows how to read? <laughs> um, well, he has a Twitter account. Oh right, but, yeah. that, but that's oh. not but that's not reading, right? Right, Re- like, yeah. like, you know, like it was reported true. that he yells to like some girl. He's like, I yelled to the girl when she puts it on Twitter. Oh God. Okay. Well, uh, with that, I think we're gonna close the show. Thank you, Thank so, you much, so much, Aaron, for coming yeah. by. Thanks everyone for coming out, and we hope you learned something. <laughs> and we'll see you next month when on we're Tuesday. Talk about garbage. Garbage. And uh, downstairs bar closes, but we're all gonna go upstairs, hang out. Dubbin wants you to read his six-word stories, so come talk. Okay, we love you. Goodbye. Houston, twenty seconds to LOS Tedris. Roger. Nice to be in orbit.